everyone got uh, their own pack of cards? Okay. So, um, the exercise is going to give you a little uh, flavour of assessment by pairwise ranking. That is the method of ranking artefacts or uh, eventually student scripts or something by making comparative judgments rather than absolute ones. So your task for the next minute or so is to pick the two best jokes in the pack uh, by sorting them into order of comedic value, where just for the next few minutes, the criterion of comedic value is how strongly you judge the joke would appeal to this particular audience. So if you'd like to put your hands on the paper, shuffle the cards, major decisions. Um, so we'll just get a little feel uh, to the audience. So I'll go through these cards. And if you had it in your top two, please put your hands up briefly. So we'll start with your arguments on the sound. That's about five. Um, if this is in your top two. And we'll five. This. Higher up Sorry. Deviant there. Um, <laughs> so, not too much uh, consensus, but what I most wanted you to get a little feel for is the idea that you can um, uh, you can reconceive what you do in assessments, essentially comparing um, comparing things uh, in your uh, in your head. So, I think that's one of the um, particular things to get hold of. Why is that important? Because although this is almost never put in print, our society in general, and our universities in particular, act on so many things as if someone had made an infallible ultra-high precision instrument and that what to measure something means is to measure it with this infallible instrument. You don't know how it works, but you just believe it. And we don't seem to have any consciousness that... Um, it's extremely recent, for instance. It's only after hundreds of years of uh, technical and scientific development that we can tell time to unbelievable constructions of it. When Galileo started science physics rolling, his only measure was his pulse rate, which is, everybody knows, is very variable. Well, academic assessment is about like pulse rather than a, a clock. Um, could I just ask, uh, more informally though, when you were doing that, did you sort the whole deck more or less, or did you just pick two and throw this away? Whole deck. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, so that gives you a little uh, taste of what I call assessment by um, pairwise ranking. So, yeah, and it's like so. 
And that, this slide is uh, the transition now to uh, the more technological aspects of what we do. Uh, Neil's going to be talking about his implementation of uh, the key paper, which was by uh, Pollitt. Uh, Pollitt tends to call this ACJ, that's uh, assessment by um, adaptive comparative judgment. There you go. Adaptive comparative judgment, because, uh, as you'll be hearing in a moment, uh, in this ramped up version, you can actually gain, uh, you can reduce the marking load um, by some uh, clever software if it's done at scale. Now we'll go on to that, and administrators may feel that the tempting thing about what we're going to present is the possibility of reducing marking load, or put it another way, sacking half the staff and making them do just as much work at the same time. But there are actually a number of independent benefits here, uh, potentially. Uh, so I just want to um, sketch out a wider um, reference point. So the first is that this method scales, that is, that as the number of students go up in the class, you actually can get the whole marking done with less time per student. Secondly, as I hope the demo might have given you just an inkling of, um, this method actually derives from um, Thurston, a psychologist about 100 years ago now, um, and those who've uh, tried this, whether manually or otherwise, often feel that this is this pairwise um, comparison goes with how we actually think about it. Now, I don't know about your private practices. I work in psychology. That's uh, my department. It's more or less all essay marking. But the wiser academics, um, if you get them talking, say they generally um, mark 10 and then go back uh, and uh, remark the whole lot because it's not until you've read some of the scripts that you get your marking ideas in line with how the students are. After all, if they've all misunderstood my exam question in the same way, it's rather unlikely that the absolute judgment in my head was correct. It's more likely I need to do adjustment. But there's also many more reasons for doing that. If you, if you see they're doing better answers, you might have to scale another way. But there's something that seems natural about comparisons. But this method, too, can be used with sets of markers. That is, um, suppose you have a whole team of markers um, dealing with a, a corpus. Um, this can be handled, and we'll say a bit more about. But it doesn't have to be professional teachers marking it. This works for peer review as well. There's also nothing in this method that uh, prevents you marking cross-media. That is, there are uh, courses in the higher education sector where students can submit quite different media. You know, one might do a video, another might do a written essay. Um, traditional micromanaged assessment schemes can't really handle that very comfortably. But when people are just saying, is this video doing the job they're meant to be doing as well as this piece of paper, it doesn't slow humans up. Multimedia is when actually your um, each student has selects is submitting a multimedia thing. In psychology, that might be to do with the graphs that accompany the stats. And again, uh, microanalysis of what's in a graph doesn't get at whether this graph says anything useful, because a lot of graphs fail to illustrate the lesson of the paper. Um, and 
it's not a good, it's not so much whether a graph is good or bad, it's whether it's doing a particular function well in the paper. Um, and that's sort of an example of multimedia judgment. Uh, what matters is the whole is the whole document coherent, not individual bits of it. This method doesn't have to be used with unusual uh, marking criteria, but it easily can be uh, for marking with unusual, frankly subjective, perhaps implicit marking criteria. So, for example, I ran an exercise I'm rather fond of in hindsight with students, where um, they each, this was because of feedback from employers to, about our graduates, as a, their written work was great. Uh, but in interviews, they seemed very disappointing. So I thought, well, I know it's not a lack of knowledge that they wouldn't be able to do the written work as well as they do. So this must be a case where students have got 95% of what they need, but they've not addressed this task. What would be a quick uh, exercise? So I got them to give one-minute talks to each other in groups of three on topics I could rely on them all having one minute's worth of knowledge of without any revision or preparation. But they had to listen to each other and then give feedback or make judgments on how much like a professional psychologist that talks sound. And I think that's a classic of a, of a real academic criteria because an academic one department has strong views about that and there's a lot of consensus in the department. If you have to write down in detail what that No idea. And I was mainly because I was lazy, but you can interpret this as a stroke of genius. I, 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 fantasy <laughs> um, uh, I didn't write a, a detailed criterion. I left it like that. And then I went round, of course, list the earwigging on the groups. And I was very impressed by the kind of comments they'd made, which I'd never thought to write in advance. So um, one of them said, now remember, these are 60 second talks. That's so short. Uh, after one talk, two others in the group said something like, and you actually wrapped it up with this conclusion. Now in 60, 60 seconds, you, you probably don't normally think you can have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But still, I'm sorry for that word. And another was, another comment was, you began with the definition. That sounded so professional. <laughs> and actually, the point is, you wouldn't want a classroom every 60 seconds talk like that. But there's some bits of psychology which the whole, you have to give the definition because the, the label is rubbish. It puts literal meaning doesn't help. And it's very important <laughs> that you don't get distracted by that. So really, even in 60 seconds, it's important. It's not a general rule about what sounds professional, but it is in particular context. Anyway, that's sort of um, that. Now, the only thing I haven't said in this uh, so explicitly so far is besides uh, the method involving generating a complete ranking, then the question is how do you turn it into marks or grades? And it's easy, for instance, to um, see the deck with um, <coughs> um, selected examples from another year that you know fell on the grade boundary and you want to have the same grade boundary, or you could artificially have one, or in an interesting paper, there's a case where some, uh, me uh, in a medical discipline, there's an interesting paper where they developed um, a method of marking um, competence assessments in field work by giving a set of vignettes. And what the markers had to do was which of these vignettes is the students in front of you most like? And that 
So that's actually another way of using this comparison at the heart of it. And they have a really uh, fairly well-controlled um, um, study and showed that this uh, got people to actually uh, mark more usefully. Because otherwise, actually, what the medics did subjectively was they formed a single impression overall of how good they thought the student was and then gave the same mark in all the boxes against all the other dimensions because they were judging the test. Whereas, okay. So there another, there's a range of potential benefits in this area. As you like, <laughs> but I think so. Okay, and so this software to support this has been done a few times. Um, quite, quite a few different organisations have done it. I first came across this at a presentation at the last CAA conference in Southampton, so that's about seven years ago, I think, um, where it was SQA were presenting, but they were also talking about quite a big experiment that had been done with, by one of the English exam boards. Um, but this was also about the time that Glasgow University was beginning to get involved in doing MOOCs and I was thinking this is actually really interesting. Here is a way of dealing with assessment that potentially can cope with huge numbers and potentially as well can have the students doing the marking. Um, so yes, Pollitt is the, the sort of key paper on this. He worked for Cambridge Assessment. I think he's retired now. Um, but yes, Steve can probably talk about this last point better than me. But yeah, that Pollitt did find that markers were quite sceptical about how this would work, but they did it and it came to see it as a very effective and fast way of doing their marking. Yeah, so perhaps we should just say Cambridge Assessments is one of these school boards. So these are national exams uh, with many schools doing it. Uh, Pollitt works for that organisation and he hired in his experiment professional markets who were used to the paper system and that's what their whole career was. So uh, they, weren't, they weren't the usual lot of people pre motivated to like research. <laughs> <laughs> So we did initially ask about using commercial software, which I think was being trialled at Edinburgh University at the time, and we were given a very high quote. So <laughs> we won't do this. Um, so I just uh, there isn't really a huge amount to this. So I wrote a bit of software. Uh, it, it's an LTI application, which means all the user authentication, etc., is just done by the BLE and they just click on this and are in the right place in the software um, and that means I can use it with Moodle or FutureLearn, the two platforms we use. It also would work perfectly well with Blackboard or Canvas or any of the other standard BLEs. Um, one of the things which I thought when I first saw this, I, I, I thought back to an examination I'd sort of seen. My two younger siblings both went to art school and did drawing and painting. And looking at the final year shows there, you see such a diversity of different types of work that somehow have been graded. And maybe you know, something like this where you're just doing comparisons might be an awful lot easier than trying to give a, a mark in these rather diverse um, types of examination. Um, so 
I've made my one, yes, it's got text, it's got source code, it understands various, well, understands how to format various computing languages. It can be a PDF or, or a YouTube URL. I made it so that um, staff could also add submissions initially so that it's a, an exercise for students just looking at work and getting a, a sort of a sort of internal idea of what good and bad work looks like. Um, David Nichol, who works with us at times, is very into this idea that students get this internalized idea of quality of work. And yeah, it's like Moodle Workshop, it's a phase thing that oh, I've mentioned Europa there, which is a different piece of software we have at Glasgow that I don't think it's widely used elsewhere. Um, so there's a submission phase where the students upload their bit of work, and then there's a separate phase where the reviewing is done, the student, which can be either the students or staff, depending on what the lecturer wants. So once the submission's done, and there's this reviewing thing, it's done in rounds. Um, everything's put into a pair at the start of a round. And there are three different phases of these rounds, which I so did. I've discovered by experimentation. My algorithm's slightly different from Pollitt's for fairly simple reason that there is a typo in Pollitt's paper, and I couldn't work out exactly what it is. This is why computing science, physics, maths, etc., always do photo-ready papers <laughs> because maths gets messed up when you've got typesetting. Anyhow, um, so I think Pollock just has two phases. I've got three because I found that worked better. Um, the, the first is very simple. It's just uh, better or worse. So initially they're in a random order, then they're split uh, into two uh, groups and sorted, and you just get a score up to the first four rounds. It's a very crude sort, and some things can randomly be in the wrong position. I'll show you a sort of simulation output in a minute. I developed using a simulation. I gave everything a sort of, this is what the perfect score of this simulated artifact, which is just a number in effect, has. And then for the comparisons, I used a random number generator, giving it an error of, I think I was going at around 5%, which I based on reading some papers about marker reliability in essay questions. So I think uh, Nora Mugi from Edinburgh has written one of the papers I used as my judging. So here, uh, this diagram, this is a screenshot from my simulation software. And this is the first four rounds of a fairly small test. So the, the, the numbers there are just the index of that. It's and sell that piece of work or artifact. But so it, they don't matter, obviously, you won't really be able to see them unless you're in the front row. The, the shade of grey shows what the ideal scoring of this cell or artifact would be the darker, the lower. Um, so white would be a really good piece of work, black would be a zero marks piece of work. Up at the top, the first row, they're just in a random number, so there's no sort of real grading of the gray. And I have highlighted my first, the one I'm following through. Um, 
in this process. So it is in the lower half. In the first comparison, it got compared by the one that's highlighted red there, and it lost, so it's still in the lower half. In the second comparison, it got highlighted by, it got compared with that one, and won, so it's now in the third quartile. Um, and then in the fourth comparison, it's another one in that quartile, and it's up one again, so it's moved up a wee bit. But that's uh, that's the very crude sorting. There's no clever algorithm there. So at that point, it has two points in its scoring. So then it goes on to a, a more um, careful scoring, which still is using quite a lot of bias to one's far away from it, because sometimes things are very out of place at this stage. So you want to get these ones that are wrong quickly sorted. And so with this sorting, gradually it's getting back to into its correct place. Here, you see it near its correct position. You can see there, this gray scale is getting fairly even by this point. Um, and it has only been compared with a few others. And all the other ones have a similar number of comparisons. But the sorting is getting pretty good already. Um, and then the, it goes into a second phase where it's the, there's a bias in the scoring towards putting more weight on the ones that are nearby. Because it's, this is the fine tuning of my sorting. And so you see it moved down a bit and then back a bit uh, as the comparisons of close ones were done and put into the scoring. And down at the bottom, it is very, very close to perfect sorting in spite of only 80. And then this is just looking at the middle section of a much bigger ver version of the same simulation. Again, yellow cells is following one thing through, and the shade of grey is the ideal position, um, the reds being where there's been a comparison. This is with 600, but again, only about 17 sets of comparisons and the sorting is almost perfect. So, when I do a wee test, uh, for those of you who have got some sort of an internet device, I hope it works with a phone. I've not really tried this software with a phone. Um, you'll probably want to use a horizontal screen if you're using a phone. But this URL, we can try it. And this, we're going to actually use my first ever experiment, which I did with my colleagues at the, the Learning and Teaching Centre at Glasgow University, which was just sorting photographs. Have you got it open? Yeah, because I'm doing just the URL. <coughs> Sorry, can we go back to the Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs>
And what I found is that some of my colleagues got really quite addicted to doing this. It's quite addictive, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit Well, I didn't, and I haven't, yes. <laughs> this something I spotted. Um, some people judge on what the photos are, and some people on the quality of a photo. Uh, one of my colleagues at that time, who's now one of your colleagues, Kathy Ball, knows quite a lot about photography because her husband's a professional photographer. Uh, she was sorting very much based on the quality of the photograph. Other people were really sorting on, oh, that's a nice bird. Oh, that's a horrible insect. <laughs> you will help. That's their latency it does have a slight pause and it gets to the end of a round. She carries for the couple of minutes. We're not going to get through round two. Do you want to show your top photos? Well, it's not going to appear in all that well, so I'm just going to watch it. Is it quite deliberate that there's no way of saying these are equally good? It is. Um, yeah, sometimes it's just that little quick one. <laughs> Yeah, well, all that does is it means that the pair that you're seeing is released for someone else to do. Uh, so the, the computer's sort of remembering which two you've got in front of you and what allocated to someone else. It, if you failed to do that, though, it would just release it after 15 minutes. Right, um, you've all done enough for now, okay, <laughs> so please take that, and we'll carry on. Um, this is just a quick description of a case study that we did in the School of Computing Science, fellow computer scientists over there, hello, and um, this was an online course running on FutureLearn with about a thousand students, blended with 80 face-to-face um, -face on campus students at Glasgow, and um, this was using a rather um, esoteric programming language called Haskell, and um, we gave the students... Um, uh, an ACJ exercise to do peer assessment. So what happened was, first of all, the students got a problem spec and they had to implement a program that would um, solve the problem in some sense. At the same time, they were given quality, uh, a set of quality criteria for judging what a good solution to the program looked like. When they finished their solutions and submitted them on Neil's uh, online system, then 
we moved to the next phase where they looked at other people's solutions to the exercise and they would be comparing um, solutions that other people had submitted and I suppose at the same time in the heads comparing that against the solution that they had devised in the first phase. Um, when the um, exercise was finished they were given back a ranking of their submission out of the full set of submissions and we just told them which quartile they were in and then we gave them back a sample solution as well so they could see how you know um, the program could have been uh, solved in a, a sensible way. <laughs> Um, so, um, yes, it was, uh, here's the specification here, and there is the, on the right-hand side, the kind of uh, criteria for um, what a good program should look like, and there's a sample solution which may or may not be gobbledygook, but um, here's what students said. So, we um, asked the students, when they'd completed this exercise, um, how they felt it was beneficial to their learning and one student said that they could see different ways of thinking so different ways of I suppose addressing the problem tackling it and um, that would maybe have an effect on the way that they would do programming in the future um, yep you can only be trained by doing it so looking at other people's code reading as well as writing uh, solutions to a problem uh, being able to compare against lots of people gives you some kind of judgment about where you are in terms of your own individual progress relative to the, the class. Um, and um, yes, there's someone who's very uh, grateful for the experience. And here's somebody who um, said, what you knew what you're doing, you could really compare lots of things quickly, as some of you were doing, click, 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 click on the, uh, the photo exercise there. So um, it was uh, an efficient and interesting um, experience of the students that benefited their learning. Right, so at the moment this is still a tool that's under development at Glasgow and we're trying to convince kind of higher ups in the university that they really want to pour money into, well to me at least, to carry on developing this work and maybe it could be useful for, for you as well. Um, if you'd uh, like to use it then there is um, a GitHub repository and you can download the code. It is definitely slightly unfinished code and there's no documentation, but if you know what you're doing with PHP and a LAMP, ser LAMP platform server, then you should get it If you don't understand these words, you probably need to find someone who does. So there is somebody at um, the School of Informatics in Edinburgh who's using a similar yes. system, and again he coded his own one, I think. Yeah, but, uh, yeah so this is uh, in use. Uh, on both sides of the country. Right, so a real system In other words, would... the whole universe. <laughs> yes. A real system would probably be um, composed of these four different modules here. So, um, one interesting module is when you click show me a pair to compare, right, the software has to decide which pair of submissions you should see next when you do your judgment and that's interesting so to get a fine-tuned ranking you'll notice that later on um, in the later rounds Neil had to look at things that are very close to each other so people would make an assessment of those but if you're doing this not to get a ranking but just for student experience you might want to show students things that are wildly different so the student can kind of get an impression of you know different approaches or, or different uh, qualities of a solution um, so there might be different um, algorithms you could plug in there to select um, pairs for comparison um, again we might want to be more sophisticated in terms of the uh, the, the, the maths we do to uh, generate the, the rankings and so on and uh, look at kind of you know the distance metrics between the different uh, solutions and these two things here I think Steve feels particularly passionate about <laughs> these things here so uh, you want you to want talk to yes yes, yes um, okay. so uh, 
I think, although this wasn't part of Pollitt's vision, I think um, there's a lot of benefit um, in terms of the assessment, in terms of computer sport for assessment, in paying more attention to uh, the user interface. And it would be good to uh, advance on that front as well. So there was a human-computer interaction paper by Beryl Plimmer, um, which um, she published really thinking she, uh, that this was about a particular stylus input she was interested in. But why is that relevant here? Because when I read her paper, sorry, I should say she handcrafted the system after a proper task analysis um, of what users needed, and it was to do with marking first-year programming scripts in computing science. Now, you might think you had boring marking, but there's nothing like... Oh! <laughs> nothing, nothing like piles of programs, all of which are faulty and weren't very interesting if you read one. But they immediately bring up challenges which you don't, uh, weren't necessarily uh, aware of in other areas. So uh, in her university, in her department, students submit a zip file, and it has at least five things in it. And so one will be the code, another will be the spec. I think it might be the output of the test suite and the documentation, something like this. So the marker has to sort of have all of these up there while even thinking about it. Um, Do you next slide? Well, uh, well, not quite. Um, so that's about the display user interface and how I never, you know, until I came across this literature, I never thought about why I just felt resistant to technology and assessment because I needed a table much bigger than me to do my marking on to have all the bits of paper necessary. And mine wasn't even as complicated a, a case as Plymouth's was. But the same's also true. But her paper made me then reflect for the first time about what was I really doing in marking uh, essays, particularly in final year. And I realized the other thing that you, I never hear discussed is um, that as a marker, I'm actually filling in at least four different bits of paper at once. So there'll be a mark sheet that goes back to the admin eventually. There'll be uh, notes to that are ultimately for the student. There'll be my private notes on what I think about that student that I might use about a piece of work that I might use in discussing with the second marker or the external. And in fact, in, in fourth year, um, I have a sheet going when a student actually teaches me something. They refer to a paper I should have written hadn't, or an idea, <laughs> can this be right or not? In other words, there's definitely some teaching going on in the reverse direction, and I don't want to lose that, but neither can I go and look it up now. I need to make a note. That's at least four outputs. So it's not just the input side that needs a table, it's the output side that needs that as well. Um, more sophisticated approaches uh, uh, for assessment would be um, using comment banks. How many of you use comment banks in the market? A few. Um, this is the practice of writing careful feedback uh, to a student and then saving the text so you can paste it in for other students it applies to. Um, Quentin Cutts at Glasgow, in one year he was running the first year computing course. He arranged that his tutorial slot would be earlier than the other tutors and he sweated over the feedback for his group while creating a comment bank that the rest of his tutoring team could then use when commenting. And I certainly know that an ample comment on something by me will be a paragraph 
and the amount of energy I have per student is about a short sentence. So common banks can make quite a difference. Now, obviously, if one can uh, have technology that makes it really easy to uh, write stuff in into the comment bank, push it back out, uh, that's another benefit. So I just want to raise another point in this. So. That's what Plymouth does. Um, I have a colleague, Joe McGuire, who um, for the last three years has lashed up um, uh, something to support his own marking. Um, <coughs> why that's interesting is because it's two things, really. <clears throat> First, that he thought it was worthwhile, and that uh, he, he really thinks it's worthwhile now in his third year of doing this. Uh, the second is that he obviously he tuned that for his own requirements on one particular course. So this isn't like a product in itself. What I think is interesting is that he could knock that up out of existing products um, to do that. And what's more, his colleague who works at another university had a similar issue, but uh, lashed up some for herself out of quite different manufacturer stuff. So I think that. So I think the overall point for this talk is that um, working much harder on the uh, user interfaces to assessment can make a surprising difference. It feels like a luxury, but actually it saves time, and particularly on the boring <coughs> tasks. Um, different people need it differently, but maybe it's uh, quite possible to... Well, I'll be shut up, I see. Well, I'll be shut up, to be honest, so it's kind of transitive. <laughs> yes, thank you very much.